Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. Week 12 is here. It is the is hell week. It's Jacksonville Jaguar week. And uh, for the battle for first place in the AFC South. That's the big story this week. We got a mailbag we're going to get into. Uh, we appreciate everybody downloading and tuning into the podcast each and every week. The mailbag address, of course, if you want to send in a question next time, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610. Joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, how are you today? Doing great. Thank you very much for asking, Sean. Happy Thanksgiving to you and everybody who's listening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, by the time we do, uh, by the time we, well, we got one more this week. We're going to do one tomorrow. We're going to get the next one in early this week, but we had to get a mailbag in. So, yes, happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays, John. I got my very festive yingling uh, Christmas sweater on. So I'm, they gave it to me yesterday. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm already in the holiday spirit, baby. Yeah, that's a sponsor. You better be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Big time. Um, so, John, let's get into it. We'll we'll do our mailbag here in a minute. You, I know you've got a ton of uh, general news and notes that we're going to get into, but I guess let's just start with this week. I, you know, who who knew at the beginning of the year that we would be circling week twelve here as the a, a date where this is? If you're a Texan fan who's not, you know, who normally went to games, but you went away the last couple years, understandably so. And you're looking for a, a jumping back in point. I would say, John, the biggest game between the Jags and the Texans in regular se- in the regular season, maybe in the history of this rivalry. Given you know, it seems like when the Texans have been up, the Jags have been down. When the Jags have been up, the Texans have been down. Now they're both ascending teams with young quarterbacks. The winner of this game is going to be in first place heading into December. This is a pretty good game for people to jump back on board. I would say, absolutely. I would expect to have the biggest crowd of the season. Not take it so, but people who actually show up, I'm always blown away by all the people who buy tickets and then not use it when so many people would like to go watch them this season. And this is the best, biggest game in team history against the Jaguars. It's also the biggest in Texans at home since the Buffalo wildcard game after the 2019 season. Binko Ryan said, you know, how do you let the players know it's a big deal without making it too big of a deal? Well, the players know exactly how big it is. If they win, they'll be tied for first place and on the tiebreaker, which is basically like beating the Jaguars three times. If Jacksonville wins, they can forget about winning the division because Jaguars will have a two-game lead and a schedule with two teams with winning records, Cleveland without Deshaun Watson and Baltimore. Both teams have easy schedules uh, from here on out. Yeah. Yeah, John, it's funny. Like the the Trevor Lawrence this week obviously is a good quarterback, although he's been very up and down this year, coming off one of his best performances as a pro last week against Tennessee. And then Russell Wilson, the Texans play next week, who's been better of late. You know, he's made some plays late in some games here. It's statistically he's been significantly better than last year. The eye test with Russell Wilson still to me, he's still not even close to what he was in Seattle. He's not scary at all. Um, but I mean, John, you got those two quarterbacks both at home, and then you you step into a, a quarterback 
<laughs> gauntlet, air quotes, for the last five games that looks like something out of a preseason program. Like you've got two Will Levis games. You've got a Tim Boyle game against the Jets. You've got whoever's going to be playing for the Browns by Christmas. And then you've got Gardner, Gardner Minshew's the best quarterback you play the rest of the way after Russell Wilson. And the team that should give them the most trouble would be Cleveland, and it's at NRG Stadium because of the Browns' great defense and because they still can run the ball, and I expect them to make playoffs. And uh, But it's it's there for the taking for the Texans. I still can't believe it. They've already doubled my prediction. of uh, No, equal my prediction. Six victories. They've got six. Most since they've had since 2019, first three-game winning streak since 2018, first running back to go back-to-back in triple digits since Lamar Miller in 2018. They are making team history. Yeah, no doubt. And C.J. Stroud's at the center of all of it, and he's been amazing this year. The receiving core has been so much better than the experts expected them to be. I, I think I, I think they're, they're better than I expected them to be, but I expected them to be way better than the experts thought just because you and I were out at every practice at training camp and we're watching Tank Dell get open seemingly at will and Nico Collins continuing to do make his ascent. I think the thing we've learned is, John, is that C.J. Stroud early on in his career here is one of those quarterbacks where you got quarterbacks that need playmakers and then you have quarterbacks that make playmakers. C.J. Stroud thus far has been a quarterback who makes playmakers. Last two games, he's been a turnover machine with six. And they've still won both games. Every coach will tell you going into a game, you got to win the turnover battle. Well, he's had six by himself, and they've still won both games. So as long as Stroud's in the game making big plays, they got a chance to overcome any negativity and any odds. Yeah, I mean, that speaks to how good he is on all the other plays when he's not turning the ball over, right? Like that they lose the turnover battle at Cincinnati and then home to Arizona. Uh, who I know is two and nine now, but with Kyler Murray, that's not a two and nine football team. That's a that's a that is a competitive football team. Um, that they lose the turnover battle in both of those two games, John. That to me is like one of the things that has me the most excited. Is the Texans aren't one of those teams anymore? It would appear where you know we go into Thursday and Friday analyzing the game, going well if they win the turnover battle, and well if they don't, if they commit fewer penalties. And, uh, you know, if they get some invisible yards in the return game, then maybe they've got a chance to pull off this upset. Like, no, the Texans are – they are a football team that they, – they've got they've got artillery. I mean, they've got firepower. You know, if they just got to – if they don't make mistakes, then you're going to be forced to get into a shootout with the Houston Texans. One thing they can't do against Jacksonville, screw up the running game. I don't care if Damian Pierce is 100% Singletary needs to be the starter after his terrific performances in the last two games and let Pierce come off the bench. Yeah, that's a key for me. I'm going to do TV after you and I get done with the podcast, uh, Texans Extra Points, and we do – I know you've done that show hundreds of times, and you do two keys to the game. And one of my big keys offensively is Bobby Slowick's feel for the running game, you know, like knowing – if he's got a hot hand, knowing what you just said, that Singletary, this offense has moved to the running game, has moved better with Singletary. And then even independent of that, just his feel for what to do in short yardage, which was not good in the last game, fourth and two with Mike Boone, third and one with with Andrew Beck. Can't, we can't have any more of that. You know, Don't overthink these third and one, fourth and two type situations. So it's an exciting time, John. As far as just news around the Texans, Desmond King is back. What are your thoughts on that? He's on the practice squad now. Not much. He didn't do squat with the Steelers after they cut him the first time. And I'm thinking, okay, did they have too many 
players as it was, but they were very critical of him up there that he had an opportunity, but he just didn't produce. But he did well in camp. He did well in preseason. We were everybody was surprised when he got cut. Steelers jumped on him, got him, and uh, uh, I think uh, based on the moves Nick Casario's making, like uh, getting DeAndre, uh, uh, what's his name, Houston, Houston Carson, Houston Carson off of Baltimore's practice squad after he'd had a cup of coffee here, and he started the last two games and made a lot of big plays. Played well. Wouldn't surprise me at all if Desmond King doesn't come back and make some plays for a defense that he has a little familiarity with. Yeah, that would that would make sense. John, the other big news that just came down within minutes of you and I recording this, I don't know if you saw this, that the Colts released, they waived uh, Shaquille Leonard, the artist formerly known as Darius Leonard. Uh, so he's got to go through waivers now. He's a veteran guy on a second contract, but that – being a free agent, being a veteran guy, that's that's for the beginning of the year. Once the trade deadline hits, everybody's got to go through waivers first. Do you do you think somebody puts in a waiver claim? And if you were the Texans, would you put in a waiver claim? No, he's a vested veteran. Don't you get to claim, go where you want to go if you're a vested veteran? I think you have to go through waivers. If, you, if, it's, if waivers it's after a certain can. date, you got to go through waivers. Well, yeah. he's owned a lot of money, and uh, I would not see the Texans, whose linebackers have been playing really well, uh, plus, he hadn't done squat since his back surgery. He's been bad, yeah. He'd still yeah. be there if he could play and he can't play. Or they yeah. would be using him. A team that's 5-5 five and five without its quarterback, getting rid of a guy that before his back surgery was one of the best in the NFL, I don't, I don't see it. And a big enough franchise staple for Jim Irsay to put out a statement about letting him go. You know, like that's they, – they you're right, John. That's a guy that you would have done everything you could to hang on to the guy just because of what he's meant to the franchise the last – five or six years, but man, that boy, the Darius Leonard, that, that star fizzled out quick. Boy, he was, he, he was a beast when he came into the league back in, was it 2018? I think it was him and Quentin Nelson were in the same draft class back. He then. was all pro his first year, not just yeah. pro ball. Yeah, man. It's a cautionary tale, I guess. All right, John, you ready for a little general news and notes? Give the people what I'm they ready. Want? All right, let's do it. You know, Sean, the Texans have owned the Jaguars and beaten them 10 of the last 11 games going back to the, First game of the 2018 season. So I went back and and figured up, it's strange, in the home games in which they've beaten them, the Texans have averaged 25 points and the Jaguars 12.5. Wow. In the road games, counting London, six road games in all, Texans have averaged 25.5 and the Jaguars 10.8. So the Texans have averaged 25 at home, 25.5 on the road, so that's about as consistent as you can get. So I think we have to pick 20. They're going to score 25 in this game. But remember, last season, the Jaguars came in here and just stomped them 31 yeah. to 3. Yeah. And they got vengeance and first place on their mind. And the Texans know they're getting the very best that the Jaguars have to offer. Now, we were talking about the remaining schedules. Texans' remaining schedule 27 to 33. Jaguars 28 and 33. Okay. The Jaguars have two te- teams with winning record Cleveland without Watson, with uh, DTR, and then Baltimore with, and Baltimore's at home uh, with Lamar Jackson. They play Tampa on the road, Tennessee on the road. They still get to play Carolina. So, really, they've got an easy schedule. Texans have to win this game. They can end up 
Right now, they're seven and three. If they beat the Texans eight and three, they might win eleven or twelve games. Texans, of course, Russell Wilson. Uh, then the Jets, Titans, Browns, Tennessee, Indy. The only team with a winning record is Cleveland with a backup quarterback. And in an Indy game, you know, it's here. Last last year, I'm sorry, it's up there. That's away. Just like last year when they won it. So I think it's very interesting they put them up against Indy. And Gardner Minshew came off the bench and just made the Texans look terrible yeah. uh, in that first game uh, that they played here. And then, of course, that was the Texans' second loss in a no 2 start. Um, everybody knows this one, but it still boggles, boggles my mind when I think about it. Texans are 6-2 uh, since the 0-2 start. In five of their games, of their five games, three have been decided by field goals with no time left. Mm-hmm. One has been decided with six seconds left. And then Arizona decided with 20 seconds left. Yeah. That is five games decided in the last 20 seconds. It's amazing they don't have an overtime game in there. That's hard on the heart. It's hard for the players. Everybody knows now, Sean, we can all look forward to when they're in that situation for them to not even flinch. Yeah, that's. I think that's the most encouraging thing, John, is I, I have stopped as a Texan fan waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, for the last several years. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Boot, like even, the other even, boot to drop. The other boot to drop. Yeah, like even when Deshaun was here, they lost so many games, not because of Deshaun. Although Deshaun's last season here, people forget because it was such a forgettable season. But there were a lot of instances where, you know, Deshaun, a, a fumbled snap against the Bengals, Kiki QT fumbling into the end zone, you know, things like that. Ooh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, 2020 was so forgettable anyways, but they had so many losses like that towards towards the end of the year where they were competitive in games, but they, you know, they, they just they gave it away. It wasn't a good football team. Um, but I think that's the coolest thing right now about being a Texan fan. And I'm. I'm not making a, a hardcore comparison to the Astros. I, I I wouldn't disrespect the Astros like that to compare the Texans at this point to the Astros. But what I'll say is that the feeling I always get watching the Astros is they're the team that's not going to flinch. You know, that's the team that – and it doesn't always work out that way. We saw it happen with the Rangers this year. But over the course of the last seven years, by and large, if you're backing the Astros, you're backing the team that doesn't flinch, that comes up huge in big situations – it's only 10 games, and really it's only the last seven or eight games because, as you point out, John, the 0-2 start, the 0-2 start feels like the fourth and fifth games of the preseason to this team. This The team that this is started in Jacksonville in week three. That's what we're watching right now. Um, and they don't flinch. They've come up big late in games. They didn't in, in earlier games. I feel like they've learned from some of their mistakes. Um, some of that stuff just tends to balance out over time. John, it's so funny. I mean, you bring up the nature of all these games – the, the five games that you talked about, three of them ending on a last-second field goal, one with six seconds left, this Arizona one with under a minute left and a stop on fourth down. The only other game in the last six games that, that doesn't get mentioned was the New Orleans game, which was also a nail-biter. Like David Carr or Derek Carr is throwing into the end zone with under two minutes to go in that game too. So they've I've been very impressed with D'Amico Ryan's game management, with D'Amico Ryan's clock management with the way he's got his guys playing pretty disciplined in these last few minutes of game. Like they, and I love the fact that it was the defense this past game and it was the offense, the game, the two games before that, that they're finding different ways to win games to me is a sign of a really good football team. Texans lead the NFL with 70 plays of 15 or more yards. Yeah. They have 31 explosive completions in the last three games. 
That's more in Carolina and Bryce Young after the season. They have 26. The Texans have thrown the ball beyond 10 yards, a higher percentage than any team in the league, 50.1%. Number two is that great vertical team, the Dolphins, Tua Tungavailoa, mm-hmm. 47.4%. And I'll leave you with this. Okay. C.J. Stroud is on a pace to throw for 5,035 yards, which shatter Andrew Luck's record in 2012 of 4,734. He's on a pace to throw 28 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, Mm -hmm. and if he can have a big game, another big game where he throws a lot, he might be able to overtake Justin Herbert's rookie record for touchdown passes of 31. Yeah, I, I think you I, I think it's it's there for the taking, John. I think he might be able to he's a, what is he at 17 right now? He's got seven, yeah, 17, 17 and five interceptions. Five picks. Yeah, the picks, yeah. Seven. If you if you ask me the two numbers, the 28 touchdowns and the 12 interceptions, like okay, which do you feel like he'll get closer to there? I definitely feel like the touchdowns. Like I, I the the interceptions, I don't I don't think he's gonna win. I don't think he's throwing a pick a game the rest of the way. Like I think the three, like the three in this game really jacked that number way, way up. Uh, you know, although he had some interception worthy throws in some earlier games, he might get to 12. Who knows? I'd be disappointed if he wound up throwing 12 interceptions because that means he didn't figure this turnover thing out that he's been suffering from the last couple games. I'll be surprised if he doesn't get 30 touchdown passes because you figure the first game he got out to a slow start, and even though he threw for a lot of yards in the loss to Indianapolis. A couple of games he's had one. Now he's so much more comfortable. His receivers are so much more confident. It's only his second game this year. All of them will be together. And so he's got so many weapons at his disposal now, not to mention Damian Pierce is supposed to be back behind Devin Singletary. So this is the best. This is the best this offense is going to have its personnel of any game this season. It's the most fun offense I've ever watched as a Texan fan. I, I know Arian Foster was beautiful to watch play, and Andre Johnson's a Hall of Famer, and that Gary Kubiak offense was just a, a well-oiled machine. Um, C.J. Stroud, that right arm is something else to watch, John. And Tank Dell and Nico Collins. You know what impressed me the most about Nico this last game? He took some pretty good licks in that game. Yeah, you know, in the box score, I think he only had like five catches for 67 yards. It felt like he got tattooed after every single catch that he had. And he got up, he held on to the ball every time he got up. Like that's, he was the quintessential big body wide receiver in that Arizona game, I thought. And he's fearless over the middle. He does he not is. have a problem running those slant routes. You know, he's up to 220 pounds, 6'4, Noah Brown, 6'2, 225. They got two big guys, and they all block. One of the most yeah. underrated things about John Mechie the third is he can block. And Dalton Schultz has become a demon when it becomes comes to blocking after the Cowboys said, oh, he can't block, he's just a receiver. Yeah, it's uh, it's been been a lot of fun to watch. Mechie had a – I think Mechie only had one or two catches. He had a really good pro football focus grade, so obviously the blocking was on point. With John Mechie. John Mechie thinks he's Laramie Tunsil sometimes. I think he sticks his nose in there so much. Except he doesn't jump off sides. Yeah, yeah, right. He's a disciplined Laramie Tunsil and about 100 pounds lighter. All right, John, you ready for the mailbag? Absolutely. Let's do the mailbag, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com if you want to send in questions. we got about six or seven of them today that we will get to here. Let's start off with our guy Dave in Round Rock, Dave Howard. He says this, John, there may be 
mental asylums preparing release papers today for people who predicted 10 wins for the Texans before the season. With six wins already, seven games to play, it's now a distinct possibility. What's your confidence level that they win at least 10 or more? John, I'll let you go first on that one. Dave, first of all, um, I was at an event before the season, and it might have been before training camp, for the Boy Scouts of America. It was a breakfast, and I interviewed the Cal and Hannah McNair. Mm -hmm. And a guy came up to me beforehand when we were mingling, and he said, let me tell you something. I think the Texans are going to win 10 games. And I said, I wouldn't say that too loud. People are going to think you're certifiable. He said, no, I think because of this, 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 and this. And I said, I'll tell you what, if they win 10 games, you get in touch with me and I will tweet that you told me that in July and you are a genius. So if they do, I hope that guy gets back in touch with me because he's the only person that has ever said anything about before the season that the Texans could win 10 games. And, of course, I let made fun of him behind his back as he was walking away. I think I went like that. <laughs> He <laughs> did the wackadoo sign right yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. So what's your confidence level now, though, to answer Dave's question? Boy, um, Dave, why don't you ask it next week? Because if they lose this one, they're going to have five. And if they – if they, I'm sorry, six. Five losses. They'll have yeah, five losses. They'll be six and five, and it's going to be hard to get up to ten. I think they can reach ten, but I don't see them getting more. But if they beat the Jaguars, I can see them getting more considering they still play the Titans two times and the Titans have been terrible. They might as well go, well continue to be terrible so they can get higher draft choices. But I think so much is contingent on this game. John, they're never going to face an easier stretch of seven games in never. the Nico Ryan's future than the one that they're about to face right here. I would be – and they need to go four and three to finish 10 and seven on the year. I would be massively disappointed, assuming C.J. Stroud is healthy. If anything happens to C.J. Stroud, then all bets are off, and we'll see what happens. Hey, but, Davis Mills has got a perfect rating. He's got a, he have a perfect rating, but he's one for one passing. His rating – you know, you want to hear something funny, John? What? He he was one for one for a two or three yards, whatever it was, some screen that got snuffed right around the line of scrimmage. His passer rating on that one pass is like 79.8, you know, based on the complicated formula. His passer rating last season was like 78.5. So, like, if, if Davis Mills just sat there throwing two-yard screen passes all season long, that was a more productive quarterback than what he did in 15 games playing actual quarterback last season. I think the Texans have the best quarterback situation in the league. You have I Mills agree. Who started for two years. You got Case, who started years for multiple teams. I think while they see all these other teams, they got to go with their primary backup and they're in big time trouble or they're signing people like Trevor Simeon off the street at this time of the year. I'm guessing that Bobby Sloyd and Gerard Johnson. Of course, they're hoping that Stroud stays healthy, but if he doesn't, I think they're going to be pretty confident in Mills and Keenum based on some things they've done throughout their careers. All right, let's keep it moving. Charles Honeycutt says, in your opinion, who are the top three or four players on the Texans that they need to prioritize in re-signing? John, who are the guys – and I, I'm assuming he means imminently like in the upcoming offseason. Like, I think, John, there's a, I think they're already planning for what it looks like with CJ three years from now. I'm guessing that there, there's other players that they're planning for and things like that. But into, they got a lot of guys who are only on one-year deals or who are going to become free agents like Jonathan Grenard, guys like that. If you had to prioritize, John, give me uh, give us three. Who would be your three? You're Nick Casario. You're sitting down. You go, okay, 
we got all these guys that are going to, that are in contract years. Who are my three that I would prioritize? I'm going to go guys whose contracts are expiring because you don't have okay. to do the others. Right. Jonathan Godard's number one. He stayed healthy mm-hmm. for the first time. Uh, interesting how that happens. He and Will Anderson been great against the run, great at setting the edge. That's just a gruesome twosome. I think Dalton Schultz on a one-year deal, Devin Singletary on a one-year deal. You say, oh, well, they got Damian Pierce they could do without Singletary. No, they got Devin Singletary as the starter. So I think Schultz has become such a valuable target down the middle, and I think Singletary to go with John Grenard. I would go Nelson, Stephen Nelson, before I went Devin Singletary. I, you know, you found you found Devin Singletary for one year, two point something million. I just think I, it's the running back position. I think they can find somebody that fits what they want to do. That's no disrespect to Singletary and what he's done the last couple of games. I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too over anxious about having to keep Singletary based on just these two games. You know what I mean? Like it's it was a struggle all year long. I get what you're saying, John, but I, I agree with you on the first two. Grenard, I might flip Grenard and Schultz. I think Schultz has become that crucial in the passing game for this team and what he's done in the intermediate part of the field. I would put Schultz one, probably Grenard two, and I would think I would put Steven Nelson third. And they've got nobody, nobody behind Schultz. They got bodies, but nobody who has produced where you'd have Pierce with Singletary and Derek Stingley Jr. may always have injury issues, so you're going to need St- Stephen Nelson, yeah. who's played great this year after being good last year. He's playing better with the Texans than he played any time in his career. Yeah, absolutely. Though this is the best we've seen out of out of Stephen Nelson. Um, John Charles also asked, "What food are you both planning to have for Thanksgiving? Traditional or something different? What does the Thanksgiving table look like in the McLean household?" It's traditional. My wife, Carol's traditional. She's a great cook. I don't want the soda people to hear this, but I'll just say this is what she cooks for two of us. I'm not saying I'm eating all of it. Right, right. I can eat turkey and vegetables. She cooks turkey, stuffing, uh, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, green bean casserole, uh, pecan pie, pumpkin pie, rolls, and um, has stuffed celery stuffed with cream cheese. Mm, the celery stuff with cream cheese. I dig that. We, we have all that about st- four days. Yeah, we have all that same stuff at Amy's parents' house, traditional stuff. But then Amy's mom will also just do a big thing of pasta to go with it. Like there's all of a sudden there's just a big vat of pasta because she's Italian. So um, so it's, uh, yeah, man, I can't wait. Thursday, John, we're going to. John Lopez talked about they have two different kinds of stuffing. And one is oyster stuffing, which I've never heard of. So mm-hmm. it's a family tradition. Kind of like crawfish stuffing, but you only use oysters. I can't imagine having either one of those stuffings. But if Lopez is a, he is a cooking uh, savant, and if he thinks it's good, it's good enough for me. Yep. All right. Let's get to uh, Kenneth, a new emailer to the show. Hello, Sean and John. Why do the Texans move players that are active on game day back to the practice squad on Monday? I noticed they use the transaction with the new kicker actually the new kicker they've signed to the regular roster but i guess the the overall question remains john like it's it's i I guess it's probably a normal question like fans aren't used to this this is something that i think came out of covid that the league was like you know what yes they increase the practice squads yeah they increase the practice squad and you're allowed to bring two guys up every single week from the practice squad that don't count against your 46 on game day but you got to send them back down, and you can only do that what three times with a player yes. before you have to sign him to the roster, right? Which they've done, which they did it with Amendola. Yeah, they signed Amendola to the roster. Yep, yep. So that's did. why it's all these moves about moving guys up and down. It 
being limited, but it's all designed to help you increase your roster when you have injuries at this time of the year. Yeah. Um, this one is from Dan T in Miami he said, uh, after beating the Cardinals with Will Anderson Jr. Having a nice game. I'd be interested to know the new calculation of the draft day trade. It'd be interesting to track it as far as draft slot value as we continue to win. I was cool with the trade, even when the trade seemed to be lopsided for the Cardinals on value, but it'll be fun to see if and when the scale tips over to Nick and the Texans by the numbers. John, let's play this out for a second. If the, and your answer may be yes, even without worrying about where the Texans' first pick is. But let's face it, if the Texans were indeed the same team this year that they'd been the last couple of years, that would be a huge talking point right now that, hey, Will Anderson's been good, but he's only got three sacks and the Texans' pick is third in the draft right now. It's looking an awful lot right now like that Texans' pick is going to be somewhere at best in the low 20s, if not in the mid-20s, if they win a playoff game. Um, where are you on the calculus on the Will Anderson trade right now? I don't give a rat's you know what about calculus and charts and all that. You ask Cardinals, would you take Will Anderson, who le- leads the league in pressures from a rookie, plays the run great, uh, has a lot of hurries, and he has three sacks. J.J. White had five and a half uh, when he was a rookie. I think they would say yes. Now, I think they did they give up a two and a three as well? They did. Well, they gave up their two last. The yes, they gave up the two their last year's two, the thirty third or thirty fourth pick, whatever that was. And then they, yeah, they might have given up a four, and they got back a four or something like that. The the main trade was the Cardinals moved back to twelve, right? They got the Texans second round pick this year, and then their first round or second round pick last year, their first round pick this year. I don't know what they used the thirty third pick on. I don't remember. The whole reason that Casario did that is because he has the Browns first round pick and the Browns fourth round pick and a slew of other picks. So I still have yet to see anybody talking about that trade, even today that that point out that he has Cleveland's pick in the first round. It's like the Texans don't have one. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I and to me, there should be more criticism on the Panthers right now than anything else. I mean, the Bears That's are looking at having the top th- two of the top three picks in the draft. The, the Bears are the Bears are what everybody thought the Cardinals were going to be uh, coming into this season in terms of the draft capital, right? Like every mock draft you saw after the twenty twenty, every mock draft you saw for this coming draft, you know, throughout the summer was Cardinals one, Cardinals two. You know, the Texans pick is going to be one of those, and they're going to be picking. That might actually happen with the Chicago Bears. Like they may wind up literally with the top two picks in the draft. I'm guessing that they're not going to let Ryan Pauls and Matt Eberflus be the GM and the coach, even though they flashed. They've won, I think, what three in a row or something close. I don't know if I would entrust a draft so crucial to the history of the franchise to these two guys. Yeah. Um, along those lines, uh, let's shifting gears over to Carolina for a second. Joe Q, frequent emailer to the podcast, says um, uh, he, he goes into a long email explaining how the, he thinks the Panthers got to where they are. I won't read the entire email on the podcast, um, but he basically is looking, John, for us to assign assign blame as to um, why the Panthers are so much worse than the Texans. And the choices he gives us are Bryce Young versus C.J. Stroud. You know, the quarterback you wanted versus the one that, uh, the, you know, the Texans got Frank Reich versus D'Amico, Josh McCown versus Gerard Johnson or the schedule. If you had to pick it's what's the, the biggest. Above. It's the talent. 
Anybody okay. that watches that team knows they don't have much talent. They gave up their best receiver. Their line's not good. Bryce Young now is seeing rushers when they're not there. They don't Ghosts. have talent, and they're not. In the, I just read a deep dive on the Panthers from Joe Person, one of their longtime yeah. uh, beat guys, and he talked about what all's happened. It's all down to the talent on that offense. It's awful, and they've left themselves in a terrible position to replenish that talent. And Bryce Young is now, like a lot of rookie quarterbacks, he's ducking, but he ain't tucking. Are you buying that Frank Reich is on the hottest seat in the league, like Jake? I would say the hottest seat, but he, based on David Tepper and the moves he's made, not just with the Panthers, but with his, I think, soccer team. Yeah. He's quick on the trigger. And I got to think coaches, of course, coaches always want jobs. But, man, when you don't have draft picks like they do and you need so much talent on offense, um, maybe sticks with Frank Reich again if he's smart. He'll let them try to add some offensive players, free agency, whatever. Yeah. And then give him another year. Yeah. They don't, they have very few expensive players on their roster. They are, they are completely devoid of good draft capital right now because of the Bryce Young trade. Not completely, but they're, they're missing their first round pick next year, which is, which sucks. And they traded DJ Moore, who was probably their, other than Brian Burns, probably their best player last year. Um, but they, they, I saw a chart on, I think Mike Sando had a chart or one of the athletic writers had a chart on the I number of $12 million yeah. plus players on each team. Cleveland's got the most. Carolina's got the least. I was really excited to see the Texans have the second least. You know, all those teams, John, that were down there in that part of that chart where they have one, maybe two, there were like five or six teams with two $12 million players. You know, there were, there were you know, a handful with three. Among the bottom ten or twelve teams, the Texans were the only team that was a playoff team. You know, it was all the bad teams. Um, I think it speaks really well to Nick Casario and who they've drafted. I think it speaks huge to D'Amico Ryan's and his ability to maybe take some what other teams viewed as spare parts and develop them into very, very productive football players on both sides of the football. Not just D'Amico, but the staff as a whole. Um, it's uh, that was really cool to see. Like the t- there's the Texans with very few expensive players. And they're in a big pool with teams that have three wins and two wins and one. They got six wins right now. They're really in a good situation for the offseason. Yep. All right. Um, John, what do you got going on on sportsradio610.com? Um, I have a column uh, about the Jaguars and the and the Texans uh, on the website today. I'll have one tomorrow about the McNairs, Cal, and Janice and Hannah, about how happy they are. And when I was talking to them about possible awards for uh, Nick Casario, D'Amico Ryan's, uh, C.J. Stroud, and Hannah said, well, I got one. Comeback owner of the year. <laughs> She's made, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be my lead. I like that. She, she made that joke to me one time not too long ago. Um, and that's it feels kind of accurate, John. You know what? And like. Cal's not doing anything different than he was doing before, other than he's got the decisions right to, of who to hire. You know, like he just, they made bad decisions before as to who to put in power and who to hire. And now he's hiring the right people and he can do what he wants to do, which is hire them and get out of the way. And I, and I talked to D'Amico about that. And he said that uh, it looks like he's wanted quite a few things that would require money. And they always provide it. He said, they trust me. Yeah. He said, they support me and Nick and everything we're, we do. And there's not a lot of owners that do that. 
And because uh, a lot of them want to be involved, I mean, there's want to know what's going on. Yeah. You know, they keep they let them know what's going on in big decisions. And if like if Hannah and Cal and Janice, they loved Miko, but if Casario said I'd rather I'd rather have this guy, mm-hmm. say Sean Payton, they would have like, ah, okay, you're the GM, you've Boy, got it in your you contract. Imagine? Go ahead. Can you and imagine? Demi- can you imagine D'Amico not being the coach of this team right now? I don't can't even want to think about that. It's going to be yeah. fun next week when yeah, Payton could have been here, D'Amico oh, yeah. could have been there. Yeah, good storyline. Then Salah the following week, you know, D'Amico versus his predecessor. And then we got Oiler uniforms the week after that in Tennessee. And then uh, no Deshaun Watson against Cleveland, but a, a, a team that the Texans are chasing in the playoff hunt. And then another Titans game. And then the Colts after that. It's a janky schedule, John, with some bad football teams. But there's there's reasons. I mean, obviously there's reasons to watch all these games because the Texans are in the playoff hunt. But there's soap opera reasons to watch them as well. Like there's good storylines with these games too, right? A lot to talk about on talk shows and podcasts. Amen to that, my friend. All right, John, we're going to do this again tomorrow. We're condensing the schedule this week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. So we'll have a preview of the Jaguars and the Texans tomorrow. We'll do a little for real of Fugazi as well on the show tomorrow and get you ready for week 12. Biggest biggest regular season game, biggest regular season game, not the playoff game, John. Biggest regular season game since New England Sunday Night Football 2019. Is that what we're thinking right now? Biggest regular season game, uh, uh, yes. That one was on national TV and, of yep. course, the biggest in Houston since the – Buffalo wild card game. Yeah, yeah, that was a playoff game for sure. Um, all right, uh, John, I enjoyed it as always. Thank you, Sean. All right, good stuff. We thank everybody for uh, for tuning in. Thank our producer today, Mike, in for James Jackson. So, Mike, we appreciate you getting this podcast out to everybody. Um, and a very happy Thanksgiving to everybody as well. We'll be back with one more of these this week and um, as we get you ready for Texans and Jags on Sunday. So, for Mike and for John, I'm Sean. We are out of time. We will see all of you uh, tomorrow for uh, the – the Jacksonville preview episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.